1: Fred Stella president of the Interfaith Dialogue Association welcome to another edition of common threads it was just really a few days ago that someone said to me when I was explaining what common threads was they got really excited they said wow that's wonderful it's like any questions you have about anything you can just find them out and I said yeah I I kind of can uh, if, if all of a sudden I'm watching a television program or I'm reading a book and I come across something in the realm of religion and spirituality and say to myself, I didn't know about this, uh, or I want to know more about this. I can do a little web searching, make a couple of phone calls, and I can have a guest on the program and bada boom, bada bing. I I get my curiosity settled. Well, For years now, I have actually been wanting to inquire a little bit more about Zoroastrianism. Uh, I think that you could fit everything I know about the religion in a large teacup. I think I remember my first exposure was a world religions class in high school. And I, I will say that I was able to learn a little bit more by reading a novel by John Irving, uh, that was set in uh, Mumbai, India, uh, within the, the circles of a Zoroastrian family. And, and I did pick up a little bit more. But I have actually wanted to get a Zoroastrian here on this program for a very long time. Unfortunately, it hasn't been easy. There is a Michigan Zoroastrian Society. I made a couple of attempts to contact them. And uh, nothing was able to happen. I didn't get a response. So I went to our neighboring state of Illinois and I made an inquiry. Again, apparently nobody wanted to be on this program. I don't take it personally. Well, the great state of California finally did us right. Uh, I made one phone call, a phone number that I found on the Internet uh, uh, that connected to a Zoroastrian uh, society. And I received a a return phone call almost immediately from a fine gentleman by the name of Mr. Sharuz Ash. And uh, he is going to talk to us this half hour about Zoroastrianism, and we want to welcome him to the program. First, let me give you a little detail about Mr. Ash. He attended Kingston College and Richmond College in London, where he studied engineering. He then moved to the United States and attended the Los Angeles Valley College and UCLA to study philosophy. He is also the founder of a nonprofit called Lord of Wisdom. He is involved in the Zoroastrian community as a part of many organizations, including the World Zoroastrian Council, the Zarathustrian Assembly, Zoroastrian Studies at GCU, the California Zoroastrian Center, as the editor of the Zoroastrian Journal and Educator. So we welcome to Common Threads, Mr. Shirouz Ash. Hello, Charuz.
2: Um Hello there, <clears throat> Mr. Stella. Thanks for having me on your program and uh, appreciate it.
1: Certainly, certainly. Uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, some religions I know actually have formed what they call an elevator pitch. Uh, and I think many people know what an elevator pitch is, is that is if you got on an elevator and you had maybe 10 floors to travel with this stranger, and this stranger uh, noticed that you were this way or that way and asked for an explanation, what could you say in a couple of minutes? So what would be your elevator pitch on the Zoroastrian tradition? Uh, um, You know, very briefly, to somebody who's never heard of it, uh, what is Zoroastrianism?
2: Well, Zoroastrianism is anyone who believes and follows the teachings of our um, um, teacher, uh, whose name was Zaratushra Spitama, uh, who was born somewhere around uh, 3,700 years ago? Is the consensus. Some claim um, he was uh, born around uh, five to six century BC. Some claim he dates back as far as 8,000 years ago, which would make it around, you know, 6,000 B.C. He was born somewhere around Central Asia, where today you would find um, Russia. Um, Again, it's a little vague exactly where he was born. Um, There are theories where he could have been born in the Caucasus um, and all the way to the borders of China in Tajikistan. And he, the language that he spoke was Avestan, which is the sister language to Sanskrit, which is the ancient um, Indian language. And um, he brings to us um, his message in a form of poetry or songs. Um, the name of his book or text is called Gatha. G-A-T-H-A, and Gotha in the Avestan language um, means songs. So he composed 17 songs uh, that have meters, and each song is quite short. It's probably anywhere from 12 to 24 stanzas. And the entire Gatha has around 240 stanzas. It's around 6,000 words. And uh, that's what he does. And basically, he believes that there is a deity that he names the deity uh, Mazda Ahura. Now, Mazda literally it's spelled the way you see the Mazda vehicles or cars. And in English, <clears throat> Mazda has been translated into wisdom. And then Ahura means um, existence. Um, therefore, the name of our deity is Ahura Mazda or Mazda Ahura, which means the wisdom, uh, deity, or existence, basically um, what we value or what we worship, praise, and celebrate is wisdom.
1: And this religion, am I understanding correctly, most scholars agree that it predates Judaism? Is that correct?
2: Well, if we put um, Abraham... Which again, the consensus is that Abraham dates back anywhere from 2,900 years to around 3,100 years. Um, and if you date Zoroaster at 3,700 years, it's possible that he was around, around you know, four, five, six centuries prior. Um, to Abraham, now, some claim Abraham was around around three thousand seven hundred years, and Moses um came into picture around twenty nine hundred years ago, so it's possible that um he predates um Abraham, which is kind of the beginning of Judaism, or some claim Moses so those are the dates that um, are out there in terms of the scholars
1: and some I remember reading and this is a long time ago that there are elements of Zoroastrianism that that did influence Judaism uh, can you talk about any of those elements
2: um, one idea is that um, we find ourselves um, in a world, Um, Zartusha offers a view of the world in terms of certain abstract concepts, which was traditional in those days throughout the world. His poetry, personalized abstract concepts, and he does that. The creation that uh, Ahura Mazda thought of was in the mind and was articulated and made into an ideal creation, not material but ideal. Now that is called Asha. Asha literally means, um, there's another uh, word for Asha, which means Arta. And in Sanskrit, we have Retta. And Arta and Retta in the English language today, it has become uh, right or good. Um, So uh, he calls this ideal word Asha. Literally, the word means truth, but the notion of truth is a very special one. Truth really means the totality of the vision of an ideal existence. It does not mean in our ordinary sense the truth or falsity of a statement. The truth that he's talking about is the relationship of all things in perfect harmony so that nothing occurs at the expense of something else. There is no friction in that existence. This ideal world of Asha was then actualized into the material world. Now, Ahura Mazda, in its wisdom, conceived of a perfect existence in purely ideal terms. And this is what he calls Asha, the truth. So the truth means an ideal form of existence where nothing is in conflict or abrasion with anything else. There's also the uh, notion of social justice. No person prospers at the cost of somebody's injury. Now this ideal um, uh, conception existed in an ideal world which we might call the mental world. The term is menu, which exactly the source of the word in English, we have mind. Now this ideal conception, I, then Ahura Mazda created into a material world. This is called the Gatier world. So this duality of the mental world and the Gatier world influence Christianity in terms of <clears throat> in another existence uh, existing uh, b- beside our material universe that we find ourselves in. Now, we feel that this world is uh, not perfect, It has flaws in it. When it became, when um, this ideal world was actualized, it was supposed to evolve towards perfection, but, however, it was contaminated by a force called Duruj, which means lie, and which is fighting in opposition to Asha, which means right. So essentially we have the world of good and evil here. So there is the movement towards goodness or Asha, and then there is the force that pushes back um, Asha or right or truth or good, which is evil or wrong or the lie. And we find ourselves in a struggle. So therefore this cosmological or ethical struggle between good and evil, uh, which exists in our mind uh, as human beings, and also exists in our material world. This conflict or struggle between good and evil is crept into Christianity um, since Isaiah, when the uh, Jews were released from Babylon in captivity by Cyrus the Great, which is uh, mentioned in the Bible, again, in Isaiah, that Cyrus was the savior of the Jews. Um, He's called the Anointed One because he freed them from Babylon, returned them back to Jerusalem, and with his own funds, uh, the Persians rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed by the Babylonians. And at that point, they were influenced by this reflective idea of the struggle between good and evil, which um, is one aspect that has influenced uh, Christianity. And the reason, the reason the idea of heaven came, or another world, was primarily because we viewed this world to be imperfect. And our job is to perfect this world and make this world better every day using our own wisdom in order to reach that perfect state um, that we call uh, perfection, or there's a word for it that is called haorvatat in the Avestan language. So that's one major influence um now, what's interesting, out of this influence of this uh, good and evil, uh, Zaratusha is also known to be the father of free will, because in a several, of, several of his songs he mentions that every man and woman is uh, responsible for making this choice between right and wrong. Um, So the notion of free will also in Christianity that we have, that's why we have heaven and hell in Christianity. Also this notion of free will is another influence um, that has crept into Christianity.
1: Uh, Let me stop you for just a moment, Sherus, to mention that we are WGVU Radio. I'm Fred Stella. The program is Common Threads. And today we're talking about Zoroastrianism, and my guest is Mr. Sharuz Ash. Shirouz, uh, would you consider, or is there general consensus in your community, that Zoroastrianism is a monotheistic tradition, or
2: not? Um, you know, most of the scholars, uh, mainly Western scholars, um claim that because Zoroaster says there is only one God or one deity um, called Ahura Mazda or Mazda Ahura. He uses the word both ways in reverse. And it's also a consensus amongst uh, most Zoroastrians um, that it is a monotheistic uh, belief. However, this uh, word monotheistic uh, can become a little confusing because in our tradition we believe that any human being can become godlike and it's not being uh, a heretic to claim that because the notion of uh, Ahura Mazda or our deity is something we all strive towards. And these ideal human beings, just to give you an example, such as Zoroaster or Buddha or Jesus, um, they had reached that level to where they would not be tempted at any point to choose um, evil versus good. So once a human being... um, perfects himself to where he always does what is right because it is right we have a famous uh, two-line prayer that says righteousness is the best good it is radiant happiness radiant happiness comes to those who are righteous for the sake of righteousness alone so the ultimate satisfaction as the Rastrian gets is to do the right thing because it is right therefore since humans are also divine, especially the wise ones, because Ahura means existence, Mazda means wisdom, in any existence that, uh, the, that wisdom exists, that uh, being becomes worshipful. So if a human being is wise and has totally abolished their um, freedom to do wrong, then that person becomes also worshipful. So it is monotheistic in the sense that we worship wise human beings, but there can be many human beings. So in in terms of the concept, is monotheistic, but throughout our um, human uh, lifespan on this planet Earth, there has been many Ahura Mazdas. Um, that's being aside from the Creator, because there is one notion that the Creator, um, this is a deist view that our founding fathers had right here in America, such as Jefferson and Washington, that there was a Creator, but he has abandoned his creation, and now we are the so-called captains of the ship to take this world towards perfection. So it is monotheistic, but we kind of have to open it up um, as to what our uh, idea of deity is so that for us, as opposed to Christianity, there has been millions of Jesuses. There there are those people around us today in every generation and and Zaratustras. So we don't believe that there's only one person who is uh, absolutely pure. Uh, and worship for we feel any human can reach that stage.
1: You know, it's interesting because if you were to ask me before this program uh, where Zoroastrianism lies in terms of uh, on the spectrum of faith traditions, I would say, due to uh, the paucity of my information, uh, that I would put it more towards the Abrahamic camp, more more towards Judaism, Christianity. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is geographical, because when I would think of uh, Zoroastrianism, I would think of Persia, Iran. But the more I hear you talk, the more I see that it... Really has a lot in common with Eastern religions, such as Hinduism and Buddhism. And maybe, maybe your tradition is the bridge between. The the Middle Eastern paths and the uh, Asian paths. Am I? Am no, I on that the right is track? a
2: very good insight because I somehow, I some way have the same sentiment that uh, if we look at where because um, the Iranians moved into Persia through the Indo-European uh, migration because there's this theory that all the Indo-Europeans, everyone from India through Europe, we have one common language or the root, because in Persian we have the word uh, Baradar, in English we have brother, in Persian we have the name Pedar, Uh, in Latin we have padre, in Persian we have the word Dokhtar, in English we have daughter, in Persian we have the word Madar, in English we have mother. So they claim English is literally an Avestan or a Sanskrit language. Um, so where Zoroaster um, was in Central Asia, in where is Russia today, when we might, we were very close to the Indians, the Indo-Iranians are their own group. Um, and the Buddha, who was in Afghanistan, uh, his real name was Sidratha Gautama, Um, was totally influenced by Zoroastrianism, But when the Persians moved into the Persian plateau because of the climate to find more fertile lands, and many of the Indo-Europeans moved into Europe, um, the Babylonian or Mesopotamian world did come into contact with his beliefs. So I think you're right. Um, it there's a lot of um connections here between um east and west and Zoroaster being right in the middle
1: and we were talking just a few minutes ago about whether or not the, the faith could be called uh, 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 monotheistic uh and you say well, yes, but we we need a little bit of wiggle room here because it's not quite the it doesn't quite fit in the same category as uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, could you call it monist? Is, is Zoroastrianism a monist faith?
2: You know, with monism, um, we, then we run into this issue of uh, dualism. A lot of people claim Zoroastrianism is a dualistic um, religion. With monism, they believe, like, uh, there's a philosopher by the name of Spinoza who thinks uh, God has a physical body and there's only the universe. The universe is ahura, uh, which ahura, that word literally means existence. Um, So we believe in this existence, this whole universe is sacred because there is wisdom in it even though it's contaminated with um, the opposite force uh, of to uh, good which is evil or lie or wrong um but there is this concept of dualism which is mind and body uh we feel there's a mental world and then there's a physical world and plato his middle platonic work uh, known by plato is called middle platonism touches on this, that there's a mental world and a physical world, so that makes monism a little difficult. Then we have ethical dualism, which is the world of right and wrong. That's another dualism. Then we have cosmological dualism, where we view this world uh, not to be perfect, and there has to be a more perfect world, and with our ethical ways and gaining knowledge, which is, again, sacred to us, we can perfect it. But I think, in a way, uh, it's true because we don't believe that there's another world outside of here um, like Christians do. There are some um, traditional Zoroastrians that believe that there is another world besides this reality but that ideal world for us exists in the human mind, so it it's a little um, again needs some wiggle room. But in, if you ask my view, uh, is that there is only this physical world, and it is our job to down uh, in the future. Uh, through gaining knowledge and increasing wisdom for us to make this place uh, heaven heaven is just an idea for us Any idea man has had man has made those ideas a reality himself and heaven is just an idea and given time and enough wisdom uh, We can also develop that that world or that idea
1: Uh Sharuz, we are out of time for today's show, but this is a fascinating conversation, and I want to have you back next week if you would consent to that, and we'll continue this conversation.
2: Of course. It was nice to be on your show. I appreciate it, and I hope you have a wonderful week.
1: Thank you, and and before we leave, very quickly, if people uh, have more of an interest, they want to follow up, give us a good website that will will answer some more questions.
2: They can go, there's a website called lordofwisdom.org. On lordofwisdom.org, real quickly, we have the Gathas, or the Songs of Zoroaster in five different translations by five different individuals. We have some essays on there and a link to a, a DVD, and they also have an email address that they can contact that uh, I can refer them to any other sources. And there's a page for links that they can, um, people can go on that uh, links and find different websites about Zoroastrianism also.
1: Wonderful. Lordofwisdom.org. Thank you so much, Sharuz. Uh, You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. Sharoos-Ash has been our guest, and we will continue our conversation next week. Please join us again on Common Threads.
0: Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University.
1: I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week we began our conversation with Mr. Shirouz Ash. We're talking about Zoroastrianism. It's the very first time on this program that we've ever discussed this wonderful, fascinating, and thoughtful tradition. And we're going to continue today with Shirouz uh, Ash And before we do, let me tell you a little bit about him. He attended Kingston College and Richmond College in London, where he studied engineering. He then moved to the United States and attended the Los Angeles Valley College and UCLA to study philosophy. He's also the founder of a nonprofit called Lord of Wisdom, established for the prevention of child labor. He's involved in the Zoroastrian community as a part of many organizations, including the World Zoroastrian Council, the Zarathustrian Assembly, Zoroastrian Studies at CGU, and the California Zoroastrianism Center. And he's also the editor of the Zoroastrian Journal. We want to welcome once again to Common Threads on WGVU, Mr. Sheroos Ash. Hello, Sheroos.
2: Hello, Mr. Stella. hope you're having a great day, and thanks for having me on your program.
1: Oh, we're having a wonderful day, and uh, I, I look forward to another conversation because it was uh, so illuminating last week. And oftentimes I'll ask people to recap what, what they've said the previous week in case we have folks listening today that weren't listening last week. But we're going to dispense with that um, and continue with some questions that have developed over over the last week. Last week, we talked—it was very theological and philosophical. We talked about the beginnings of Zoroastrianism. We talked about the understandings of divinity, the understanding of that force that opposes divinity, and and all of that. Right now, I want to— zero in more on some of the more mundane aspects and by mundane I certainly don't mean drab or boring I'm mundane meaning what it's like to be a Zoroastrian in this world so for instance do you have any sort of clergy and what any form of communal worship
2: um, we do have uh, clergy and there's a couple of names they use for them. Uh, one is Mobed and uh, one is Ratu, which co- uh, comes from the word Khratush, which means uh, intellect. And um, Zoroaster himself, uh, c- uh, the name he gives to his message or himself is Mantra. Mantra, that word, the word literally means a thought provoker so our the role of our priests um are is to um, promote or provoke the, our minds um to think um well, that's very um <clears throat> um important for us that we freely think and reflect uh, on things. However, they do, um, if there's a wedding, if there is someone passes away for funeral, um, for those reasons, Zoroastrians do use priests. Uh, We do have a Zoroastrian community in India. They are called Parsis. Uh, Pars, that word is derived from uh, Persia. And they are more traditional, and they do have um, prayers that they use. However, these prayers have been developed um, uh, post-Zartushra or Zoroaster. Uh, In the Gatha itself, it's a philosophical document. Um, There's really no prescribed... um, uh, Prayers and and Prayers. We,
1: we we should mention the, the the Gatha is is your scripture.
2: The Gatha is our scripture, correct? It's the uh, songs of Zoroaster, like we mentioned last week. There's 17 songs. Um, however, eventually, the, after Zoroaster, um, the priesthood was developed, and they added a lot more text um, to his text and have developed rituals and and so on.
1: Do you have different sects? Do you have uh for instance I would imagine that if if it developed like Christianity you'd have uh, uh, one sect that said no we're not going to take these extra these extra scriptures these extra verses we're only going to take what Zarathustra uh, left us with and you know there are just various ways of expressing a uh, faith did you have that in in your tradition
2: Um we do um, we do have that we have um, the more orthodox or traditional Zoroastrians um, which I would tend to be in India and they these Zoroastrians um, fled to India after the conquest of Islam uh, in order to be able to practice their uh, faith, they are, um, they believe, we have an extended text that's called Avesta. Um, They feel that the Avesta is also part of our uh, religion, or our philosophy and belief but you do have another sect or group that says no uh, the Avesta itself it's a good um, form or informational book in terms of our history, our tradition and our way of life but um, it is not the word of Zarathustra so there there is a sect that says Gata only which means only Zarathustra's song now to put this as a um, uh, to compare it to christianity it's it would be like if some Christians came and said, uh, "Because in the Bible the word of uh, words of Jesus it's usually typed in red. Am mm-hmm. I right? Yes, I have a couple of So it's like uh, a Christian saying, "Look, we're only going to follow. We're going to extract the parts that is Jesus' own statements." And uh, the rest of the Bible is good in terms of the history, our hygiene, what we ought to do, etc., and all of that. Where were we? Who were we? How did we move around? Uh, however, the only thing we're going to follow and believe in is Jesus' exact words. So it would be similar to that. That
1: that makes a lot of sense. I understand that. You mentioned briefly, a moment ago, the uh, the Exodus of the, uh, of the Zoroastrians uh, from Persia. So uh, when did you leave, and, and did you leave like 100% or are there a few still there today? What's, what's the story?
2: Yeah, what happened is um, the last um, dynasty that ruled in Iran uh, was the Sasanian dynasty. Uh, that ruled somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven centuries, and they were the arch-adversaries uh, to the Romans. They fought the Roman Empire several times, and they have rock reliefs in uh, Persopolis in Iran um, in terms of their battles and, and victories. Um, however, they reached a point where when uh, Islam uh, expanded, they came to Iran and they conquered the Sassanian Empire. And they, within two centuries, uh, you could hardly find traces of Zoroastrianism. Um, there was uh, persecution um, that took place um It can be sourced today on Wikipedia and uh, other um, books and literature. So in order for them to preserve their uh, belief, uh, a lot of them got on ships and boats and went to India. And one uh, condition was that at the time the ruler of India said, I will allow you uh, Zoroastrian Persians to come and live in India, but do not convert anyone or advertise your faith. So they accepted, and they have lived in India for uh, 13 uh, centuries now. Now, in Iran, uh, there some Zoroastrians did remain, um and um today, or up to a couple of centuries ago, the numbers in terms of census in all the books, encyclopedias, claim that there are around hundred and twenty thousand Zoroastrians in Iran, and about two hundred and fifty thousand of them in India. Now, these numbers have dramatically changed in the past hundred years because now. We have a huge Zoroastrian community in Europe, mainly in the Scandinavian countries, uh, that number, this is according to Almanac, uh, book of records that has census of populations and religions and geography. They claim there's 120,000 Zoroastrians in Europe, a couple of uh, hundred thousand in America, mainly in North America. Many people in Afghanistan today, over six hundred thousand, claim to be Zoroastrians. In Kurdistan, where there's fighting now in Syria, the Kurds have all returned back to Zoroastrianism, and they took. We took a couple of um, surveys in Iran today, and we don't know why this is. Well, there are some theories as to why that. Over 25 million people in Iran have left Islam and have gone back to their indigenous religion of Zoroastrianism.
1: Really? That's yeah, fascinating. A, a and a remarkable
2: I, development.
1: I, and I did not know, I, I assumed that the Kurds were primarily Muslim, and you're saying that's not true.
2: They, a lot of them, they're actually called Yazidis,
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with the Yazidis. Yeah,
2: the Yazidis have Zoroastrian roots. Um, The Kurds were, but however, um, the Kurds are Iranian-speaking people. It's an Iranian language. And again, like, they had to accept Islam because in that world during that time, You were considered to be a heretic if you were not a Muslim, and there were dire consequences. I mean, we see that in the Christian world. Till the Enlightenment revolution occurred since Galileo, that the Christians, you know, if you were a heretic and did not believe in God or Jesus, um, life could have been very difficult for you. Yes. Um, Therefore, same with them, and now we find ourselves in a more of a free world, world, uh, many of them are returning back. Of course, in Iran, if, you, um, if everyone is considered to be a born uh, Muslim, and um, over there, if you change your faith um, it, the, the, according to the rules, uh, they, you have to be uh, beheaded. So all of these Zoroastrians in Iran today, which most of them are very young. Uh, they're closet Zoroastrians. I mean, they're practicing their home, with, uh, personal time, or with friends and family. But when they come outside in the real world, they claim to be Muslims because, again, you can be severely punished.
1: Sure. Same thing with the with the Bahais. You certainly share that persecution in Iran, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, the Baha'is have it the worst, actually, right now in Iran. I mean, the treatment of the Zoroastrians and the Jews or other minority religions over there are tolerated a lot more. They do just warn them, including Christians. We have a huge Armenian community in Iran and a Syrian and they they are Christians, but there are also some Iranians that have uh, converted to Christianity, and they caught a couple of priests in, in Iran, and they were warned to stop this uh, behavior. Um, but this is the way things are right now over there.
1: Mm. Now, you mentioned... Uh the the population many people in the population going to india and uh, the the ruler at the time said yes you can stay here but just don't don't try to proselytize my understanding is and and actually you've just contradicted that i was under the impression that you can't that the religion would not let you convert uh, to Zoroastrianism. You that you had to be born in it. Now, you, you're, you're telling me something different. Why, why did I think that?
2: This, um, this is, again, because of after the conquest of Islam, the ones that went to India, they were not allowed to proselytize and to advertise and bring anyone into the faith. Now, you're talking 1,300 years ago. So, after the 13th century, that kind of became their belief, and in a way, I think in India, they're still respecting, if you talk to them in private, that we're still respecting the wishes of the person that um, had the benevolence to allow us to come and live on this land. So they're kind of holding on to their promise. Now, the Iranians or do not have that belief. In the Gatha itself, it says, Zoroaster says, my message is a universal one, and anyone can choose this belief. Now, this is an interesting point you bring uh, up, because a belief is not something you can be born into. It's a philosophically, it's a wrong um, claim. A belief um, is something that we look at and we accept and build up these beliefs in our minds as uh, during our lifetime now you can be born into a bed you can be born in a room in a family on a land in a country but let's just suppose my mom and dad are capitalist or my mom and dad are communist if i'm born in that family i'm not born into their belief and i would argue this also with islam and christianity if uh, Uh, Muslim uh, husband and wife have a child, that child is not a Muslim. In fact, in our tradition, no child is a Zoroastrian till they do their initiation ceremony, which is similar to a bar mitzvah. When you reach the age of 16, 17, 18, you have to go through this initiation ceremony that you say that I freely, for myself, am choosing this belief. And also to believe there's a right and wrong, and you ought to do right, and to use your own mind to make good decisions. Anyone can have this belief. You cannot be born into that. I mean, you can be an Aborigine in Australia and have that belief. So that that is not true. Any person, any person by their own choice, can become a Zoroastrian.
1: Thank you for for clarifying that. I want to briefly mention that you're listening to WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is Mr. Sharuz Ash, and we're we're speaking about the tradition of Zoroastrianism. Uh, Quickly, too, I'm just curious. So a large number of Zoroastrians settled in India to escape uh, Muslim rule, uh, which was rather despotic and did not—they did not practice um, um, pluralism back in, uh, in in Iran or Persia back then. But then you moved to India, and at some point, uh, especially in northern India, the Muslims ruled. When the Muslims ruled in India, did you suffer the same consequence as many uh, as many Hindus and Sikhs?
2: Um. <clears throat> Yes, I mean, there were um, some uh, traces of that. Um, however, for most part, the, the Parsis in India, especially in recent times, they have done really well because of the British colonial power. When the British went to India, they found the, the Parsi community. And for the first time, our language and much of our texts were dead and destroyed. There's a French chap by the n- name of Duperon and an English person, which I can recall, either Jackson, I believe. They translated the Gathas uh, and the Avesta uh, for the first time. Yeah, this is about to where our own priests kind of had forgotten they had memorized it. I mean, they had memorized over 20,000 couplets to preserve it, uh, but half the time they didn't know the meaning, so they decoded uh, the language. However, going past this, once the Indians found this minority community, they gave them tremendous, tremendous positions in India, and there are many of them that are extremely wealthy and multi-billionaire. One family is called the Tata family. Oh, yeah,
1: the the, the automobile uh, industry exactly. tycoons. They're sure. the
2: largest uh, industrial employers in England now. The Tata industry, uh, conglomerate hires over 250,000 British citizens. So they did really, really well. They remained loyal to the British. The first two members of the parliament in England that were um, non-English were Zoroastrians from India. Hmm. Um, So they have a good relationship, and they were treated fine by them. And the British were kind of smart because they put a minority group in charge because a minority group usually won't stand up and uh, And fight against you had they put you know the Indians in charge perhaps that would not have been the case but they've done well whereas the Zoroastrians of Iran uh, really remained very very poor even up to today um, they have not had the lifestyle or the uh, the chances Mm -hmm. or the opportunities that the ones in India have had yeah I, I
1: if I'm correct and I'm sure you'd let me know if I'm not believe that Zoroastrians have the highest literacy rate in in India. Am I correct or close to it, if not?
2: Yeah, in fact, not only in India, 70% of our population relative to our numbers have a degree, master's, or doctorate. Because one reason for that is when we talk of wisdom, One definition of wisdom is knowledge, and knowledge for us breaks in two parts. One knowledge is the real knowledge that we go to university and seek. One is ethical knowledge, that you have to have the knowledge that you cannot harm anyone. The worst thing you can do, Herodotus, the Greek historian, claims that the Zoroastrians taught their kids or children three things, how to ride a horse to use a bow and arrow and to speak the truth. This uh, speaking of the truth or doing the right thing, it's very, very important. The worst thing you can do in our faith is to harm another human being. Um, it's a very, very highly uh, ethical um, Uh, philosophy and and beliefs. So this knowledge uh, that we gain in the universities, these doctors and professors, they improve our life, they develop uh, medicines um, uh, for cancer, for uh, uh, all kinds of sicknesses in order to reduce human suffering. That's why they study a lot and there's a lot of, in fact, doctors because they feel they're reducing human suffering and harm or evil by studying. So they are highly, highly educated um, community.
1: Yeah, that, that is quite wonderful. What is your uh, ethnic background?
2: I am uh, Persian. My mother and my father are uh, both Iranian. Uh, my dad was born in uh, Russia, uh, but born to uh, Iranian uh, parents my grandfather used to work at the iranian embassy he was um, had a high position there in this uh, in russia Um, and my mother is from the caspian area uh, by the caspian sea near the caucasus i was born in tehran the capital city at the age of eight uh, they sent me along with my brother to england uh, to study i lived in england till i was 22 and I moved to America after I graduated, and um, uh, lived here nearly 30 years. I'm 51, 52 years old.
1: I see. Now, I, I would have just guessed that you were an immigrant from India. Uh, uh, would you? Would you guess that? Uh, would you say that most of your co-religionists in your area are Indians or or, or not?
2: You know, in uh, you mean in America? Yeah. In, in California. Yes. I'd, right now, there is a uh, flock, uh, many Zoroastrians are leaving Iran. And there is an organization that's in uh, New York that's operated by the, the uh, Jewish people that help these Zoroastrians, they move them from Iran to Austria for a period of six months to a year and then they obtained permission from them to move to America. So we've been very uh, fortunate uh, due to their benevolence and also the U.S. government to um, give us this uh, chance and opportunity uh, to come to America and right now, I would say, say there are a lot more Iranian Zoroastrians in uh, in California than Indian um, Zoroastrians, because, uh, again, the Parsis in India, they're free, and they can, you know, freely live there, uh, whereas the Zoroastrians in Iran, although they don't uh, kind of abuse them, but they still don't have the same equal rights, or they don't obtain the same equal treatment as a Muslim Iranian would.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, uh, Sharuz, we are out of time. Once again, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversations uh, both today and last week. Uh, Briefly, I do want to end with you telling us a little bit about lordofwisdom.org. That is your website, which uh, you mentioned that if people are interested in more information about Zoroastrianism, that they can find it there, and also about your work with uh, child labor, correct?
2: Um, correct. It's a very small project. I'm hoping it will grow with the help of our community. Um, it's, if you go to lordofwisdom.org or .com, you find many essays from... Um, scholars uh, that have written about Zoroastrianism. You will find electronic books um, of the Gatha, which is the um, writings or the songs of uh, Zoroaster. There are many links in there to different Zoroastrian organizations in America and around the world. So in one way, we people can become informed as to what Zoroastrianism is.
1: You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. Our guest today, Mr. Sharoos Ash. Thanks so much for joining us and be with us again next week right here on Common Threads.
0: Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.